Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the intractable problems that was faced by the Roman Republic through much of its existence and especially towards the end of its days, which Cicero, the writer of On Duties, took part in, was the clash between not just personalities, but you can say factions, parts of the Republic were being turned against other parts. It's not simply that each great individual like Caesar or Pompey had their soldiers that were fighting against each other. Each of them represents parts of the body politic turned against each other. And this was not a new problem. It was something that had been faced and, and discussed quite a bit uh, within ancient Greece, even within the city-states. Think about Athens itself, which Cicero mentions here. And it was a problem continuing through. It's one that we see even raising its head so frequently in our own times where the common good and the sense of community gets lost and we get factionalized or, you know, to use a word that we invoke much more often today, things become very partisan. Things get separated out along partisan lines. So what Cicero has to say here is, is very relevant. And he's interested in this in terms of the virtue of courage. So he talks about it in that portion of book one of On Duties. Why? Why is he so interested in courage and great soldness and then looking at factions and elections and all these sorts of matters? Well, because politics tends to draw in individuals who are high-spirited, who are great-souled, who are courageous, people who are also ambitious. And the ancient understanding of ambition was not just that you're going to, you know, make a million dollars or you've got the drive to start your own business. It's that you want honor. You want other people to look at you as being an important person. You want them to include you in their decisions making, you want to be a big shot, we could say, right? That's what, what to be ambitious really is about. If you want to make a million bucks, you want to make a million bucks because you think that means that you thereby become someone, right? If you want to be in the fashion magazines, that's because you think, as opposed to the person who wants the million bucks, that being in the fashion magazines means something. If you're on YouTube and you want to have a million subscribers, that's ambitiousness as well. And each of them has to do with a kind of perceived power and fame. Politics is a natural place for this to occur because people do bestow honors. As a matter of fact, the very word for offices in ancient Greek, timē, means honor as well. And so this carries through into the Roman context and it carries through, I think, even down to our own time where we tend to have a sort of worshipful attitude towards the politicians who we, all, we like. So it does draw in people who, if they're not necessarily courageous, at least have a facsimile of courage, which can be quite dangerous. And here Cicero actually invokes Plato. Interestingly enough, he says, those who propose to take charge of the affairs of government should not fail to remember two of Plato's rules. First, to keep the good of the people so clearly in view that regardless of their own interests, they'll make every action conform to that. Second, to care for the welfare of the whole body politic. And he says, 
if we don't have this, what do we see? As he calls it, bitter strife, right? Discordiae, literally one's heart being out of accordance with another person's heart. And that's how societies break down or become prey to other societies, which will then invade them and colonize or take them over. So this is a big problem. When we focus or when people focus in general on their own individual good or on the good of just a part of the society or culture or community, as opposed to the common good, then we're going to have factions arise. Now, why would that be the case? Well, in some respect, it's kind of self-defense. If I know that you are a rival politician and you do not have my best interests at heart because you only care about your class or your group or your allies or something like that, then I not only shouldn't vote for you and I should stay away from you, I should probably run against you or find somebody else who will support my interests. And you know, as I do that, your attitudes harden, my attitudes harden. The other people may form a third faction because they're like, well, we're not being represented by any of these two jokers. Neither of them seems to care about us. Let's get our own candidate out there. And this can happen through military coups. This can happen through class warfare or struggles between other groups. Within the Roman Republic, it took place in part through elections because the Romans had this set of offices that you had to sort of make your way through in order to eventually exercise power at the highest level. It was called the cursus honorum. You could say the path of offices, the path of honors. And Cicero saw this firsthand and, and so did his rivals. They all had to make their way up through the cursus as did people before them. There were ways to try to jump around it. And many people used that as an opportunity just to enrich themselves or to gather their own political power. Sometimes they used it as a way to develop a power base as Caesar did with his rulership over Gaul the ending of which is what brought him to cross the Rubicon, right? So this is a very important point. He says, those who care for the interests of a part of the citizens and neglect another part introduce into the civil service a dangerous element, dissension, that is discordium, and party strife, seditio. Sedition is the word that we get from that. So this is incredibly important. Now he talks about electioneering in particular. The word that we're translating as electioneering is contentio, which of course, you know, the English contention, contentiousness is what we get from that. And it's not just that, but it's also the, you could say, desire for doing that. He says the ambitio honorum contentio. So it's the desire, the ambition, and also the striving, the contending with others for offices. And he gives us some counsel here that are not actually going to be observed by most people in politics, but this is what he thinks would be required if you're going to exercise genuine courage within the political sphere, which should lead to less faction. He says that we should view our rivals not as enemies, but as fellow citizens. 
He says, We should regard only those as adversaries who take up arms against the state, not those who strive to have the government administered according to their convictions. So here in the United States, we have two main parties. If you were following this, you would not look at, and you were a Republican, you would not look at your Democratic rival as your enemy, as, you know, this terrible person who you need to demonize. And if they win, you would in some way try to cooperate with them. Likewise, if you're the Democrat and the Republican wins, you could ask yourself, has that been the case over the last several decades? between these two parties? And the answer, of course, would be no. He gives an example of several different characters from Roman history. And we see that you could come up with many other examples of people who did not do that, who said, if you're not with us, you're against us within the same society. He also counsels a, you might say, control over one's affects in relation to one's opponents. So he talks a lot here about anger because anger is back then, just as much as it is now, a very important emotion to understand for politics. He says, we must not listen to those who think that one should indulge in violent anger against one's political enemies and imagine that is the attitude of a great spirited, brave person. He says, nothing is more commendable, nothing more becoming than courage and forbearance. Genuine courage does not mean losing your mind and shouting and railing against your terrible opponents and the awful things that they've done and how bad everything is going to get. We might think about the contemporary mobilization of anger by so many political parties and operatives and organizations in our own time and whether that would actually fit what Cicero is talking about. Instead, he counsels what we translate here as affability, which is a beautiful name, isn't it? He says we must school ourselves in affability and what is called mental poise, that is altitudo anime and the affability ability is facilitas, right? An, an ability to reach out to the other person, to, to treat them civilly, to treat them as if they're a, another human being belonging to your society, your commonwealth. He says to do this even if the other person is not. He says, if we're irritated when people intrude upon us at unseasonable hours or make unreasonable requests, we will develop a sour churlish temper prejudicial to ourselves and offensive to others. And he says, the only other condition on this is that strictness may be exercised for the good of the state. But if we're going to have to punish people or resist them, we don't need, as he says, to be insulting about this. We don't need to tear them down. We don't need to, to use one common expression for every time somebody hits you, hit them back 10 times. That would be foolishness, the opposite of wisdom, according to the Stoics. And we can see that this played itself out within the Roman Republic. If you look at, you know, the historical examples of Marius and Sulla and, and the civil disorders at that time, or you look at the first triumvirate or the second triumvirate, you will see these sorts of forces playing themselves out. The last thing that I'll talk about is Cicero talks about the need to manage success well. The need to not exploit one's good fortune, as he says. He tells us when fortune smiles and the stream of life flows according to our wishes, which is not often the case in politics, let us avoid all arrogance, haughtiness, and pride. It's as much, he says, a sign of weakness to give way to one's feelings in success as it is in adversity. So when we're actually on top in this crazy game of politics, 
Don't exploit it. Don't try to drive everybody else out. Don't try to rub everybody's noses in it. And don't try to make yourself more important than you are. He gives the example of Philip of Macedon, who we don't really hear that much about. We hear more about his famous son. And, and Cicero says, Alexander was actually a train wreck. Philip was the better king, even though he didn't conquer so much of Asia. He says, the greater our prosperity, we have to be more and more careful. We have to seek the counsel of friends and we have to think about who's giving us advice. Don't listen to flatterers. Don't listen to people who are just trying to get you to do their thing. You have to be very careful in it. He says, it's easy to deceive ourselves. We come to think ourselves duly entitled to praise and perhaps we're not. And so he says, people can be puffed up with conceit and expose themselves to ignominy and ridicule by committing the most egregious blunders when they actually have been successful. So to bring it to a close, we ought to be thinking about the common good. It's very important when we're carrying out contention with others about who is going to rule that we observe certain limits and we think about the greater good in that case. And then if we do succeed, don't let it get to our heads. This is what Cicero thinks will help to prevent social breakdown. And in his view, it's precisely the failure of people who were highly placed in politics to be virtuous in this way that led to the great disorders that destroyed the Roman Republic. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.